what's up you guys and welcome back to the televised podcast my name is anna and today we're going to be talking about the highly controversial happiest season and also a few other gay movies that continue to get flamed on the internet originally i wasn't going to do an episode about happiest season i mean i really liked it but i just didn't think i liked it enough to talk about it and dedicate an entire episode to it then the discourse emerged i watched it on wednesday when it premiered and for that one day, that one single day, I knew peace. After that, though, the internet has been flooded with hot takes about Harper being a terrible person and Aubrey Plaza fan cams. In this episode, I'm going to be discussing Happiest Season itself, other LGBT movies shunned by the internet, and what all of this means for the future of LGBT cinema. My whole TikTok for you page has been littered with nothing but Harper hatred, and I'm so sick of it at this point. Every buzzword known to man has been used to describe Harper, from gaslighter to manipulator to even microaggressor. It's been a lot. The main critique of Harper comes from her actions, but I don't think that people understand that you're not supposed to like what Harper does. In multiple scenes, the movie makes a point to show Harper not acting like the best girlfriend in the world, but she also is redeemed with little actions throughout the film and obviously later at the end when she professes her love for Abby and is finally free of her parents' shackles. That's why they linger on both Riley and John when Harper denies Abby and her gayness at the party after Sloan outs her. The audience is supposed to understand how horrible that moment was, which is really the only reason we even find out about At Riley's high school experience while at the bar with Abby. That knowledge makes that scene even worse, and it's the punch-in-the-gut climax that a story like this needs. I hate to break it to y'all, but you can't make a movie without conflict. And for the first time, at least it feels like, this lesbian movie didn't have cheating as the main conflict, though people still wanted it to have happen with Abby and Riley, but we'll get to that. In this film, the conflict stems from Harper's fear of coming out, which was not only her suffocating family dynamic, where each sister doesn't even like the other and the parents treat their interactions with their kids like business transactions, but also the town that she lived in. The town she lived in is a point I want to focus on for a moment. I grew up in a smallish town in Indiana, the kind of place that most wouldn't suspect of being a more conservative-leaning town, especially since our county votes blue every single year. The reason Democrats usually dominate our area is because of the unions that thrive here, with the steel and tin mills, otherwise everyone is pretty conservative. I don't think people understand that these kinds of towns are much more common than any over-exaggerated homophobic town in the deep south that they usually would imagine. Around here, the Confederate flags are traded for decades of prejudice passed down through the generations, but masked by the fact that we're simply not faced with, um, different? Often. In this town, I put on a different face. To survive, kind of. That's exactly what Harperstown read to me as in this film. All the people were extremely fake, only concerned with money and appearances, and were only as tolerant as they could be without rocking the boat. In that town, Harper puts on a different face to survive, which we very clearly see throughout the film. In fact, Riley has what is probably the most important line in the whole movie. When she answers Abby's question of which Harper was the real Harper, she simply says, quote, maybe they both are. This single line describes Harper's situation perfectly. She can dish... 
This single line describes Harper's situation perfectly. She conditioned herself her whole entire life to wear a different face in her hometown, but when she moved to Pittsburgh and was able to leave her dysfunctional home life behind, she was able to wear her true face, the face Abby fell in love with and John became good friends with. But when she gets back home, out of sheer muscle memory and self-preservation, that mask goes back up, and she wears her at-home face in order to blend in and not disappoint her parents. Despite the fact that all her friends from high school are fake and she would probably much rather be at the gay bar with Abby, Harper hangs out with them at Fratty's. And if that's not the straightest bar I've ever heard of, I don't know what is. Uh, she does that simply because it's what she would do when she's home. This kind of regression is something that I deal with too, and I'm sure a lot of people do. At college, you know, you go away and you can be open and free and out and yourself, but at home, you're kind of a totally different person. At least, everyone sees me as a totally different person, and I don't have the nerve to change that image in their minds. That's exactly what Harper was dealing with. As much as she loves Abby, she's... We're all conditioned to love our family, and we even change ourselves to fit their molds because we don't want to lose them. So she falls back on old habits and hurts Abby in the process. There's also the point about Harper outing Riley, which definitely fits into the small-town conversation. Early in the movie, they establish that the parents are vaguely homophobic, saying Riley's, quote, lifestyle choice is questionable at best. When we learn what actually happened with Riley and Harper, I feel like we learn more about Harper than Riley. Harper, who knew that she would risk losing her family and being ostracized by the community, threw Riley under the bus, which I'm sure broke her heart to do so. From Riley's recount, we know that the people at school treated her horribly, which checks out for this small town. In fact, when Riley is recounting the experience, she doesn't seem mad. She seems more sad than anything. I'm sure she understands why Harper did what she did in high school and has sympathy for her. She clearly doesn't hold it against Harper, even going so far as to help Abby understand Harper when they were going through this rough patch. If she can sympathize with Harper, why can't half the audience? The things that happened to Riley at school impacted Harper more than it most have probably considered. Who would want to willingly come out after the most recently outed girl lived in hell every single day of her life and still to this day gets shit about her sexuality from the people in town? The incident pushed Harper even further into the closet, I'm sure co coloring her entire view of that town for the rest of her life and making her actions at the party make more sense. She fell back on old habits, but like I said, we're not supposed to think what she's doing is good or right. She did an awful thing by outing Riley, and she did an awful thing by denying Abby, but by considering her situation and environment, we can also have sympathy for her, which makes the ending a much easier pill to swallow. Speaking of the ending, I've seen many people say that they were mad that Harper got to stay with Abby, but I think what happened in the film makes sense. Let's talk about Harper's journey throughout the movie, because once it's all broken down, it's much easier to clearly see her redemption arc unfold. In the beginning of the film, Harper invites Abby to Christmas at her parents' house, but in the morning, she's quickly reminded of her terrible home situation. Abby, who it's implied has never been excited about Christmas in all the time Harper has known her, is playing a Christmas vinyl record and making them coffee in the morning, and expresses to Harper just how goddamn excited she is to spend Christmas with her and her family. In the car, when Harper finally tells her, she says as much that she just couldn't disappoint Abby by having to, to tell her that she didn't come out and uninvite her from the trip. In fact, I think that when Abby had seemed so excited that morning, maybe Harper decided she would just show up with Abby as her girlfriend and have her family just deal with it. But I think the closer and closer she got to home, the more the fear set in and she decided she wasn't brave or strong enough to do it just yet. So she tells Abby in the car. 
I think the most important takeaway from that scene is that she doesn't do it out of malice. She doesn't invite Abby just to hide her the whole trip. I think she kind of really planned to come out right when she got home. But like I said, the closer she got, the more fear set in, so she crafted a plan to keep both her and Abby safe throughout the trip, which was not done out of just pure meanness or as a way to keep Abby from being able to say no, but as a way to ultimately protect them both in the only way Harper knows how. Skipping ahead a bit, Harper's family dinner is crashed by the ex-boyfriend, and they run into the ex-girlfriend. But Harper is still doing her best to make sure that Abby is as comfortable as she can be in this situation. She's even the one to pull Abby away from dinner when she knows it's becoming too much. The turning point for their relationship is when Tipper and Ted almost catch them in bed together. You could tell that Harper is extremely shaken by this close call, and doesn't take that moment lightly. Which is why this is a turning point not only in her relationship with Abby, but also for the plot of the movie. This is directly before Abby gets arrested for shoplifting, which is just another stressor on Harper to try and make her parents continue to like Abby despite that, even though it clearly wasn't Abby's fault. The mounting pressure of not being out, having to be her dad's speechwriter and wingwoman to schmooze donors for his political campaign, trying to convince her parents to still like her girlfriend, who they don't even know is her girlfriend, the pressure in pushing Connor on her, and every other stressor in this moment, including her strained relationship with her siblings, makes Harper extremely overwhelmed. This then leads to the scene where Harper says she's feeling suffocated by Abby. That scene was clearly Harper projecting her own feelings of being back home onto Abby, which was not fair to Abby at all, but makes sense when you consider everything she's going through at the moment. If I have one critique of the film, it's that we don't see Harper's point of view enough. Throughout the movie, we hear about Abby's inner thoughts through her phone calls with John, which is how we know exactly how she's feeling about the entire situation. For Harper, we don't get that at all. All we can go on is her actions, which some people clearly haven't paid much attention to. This brings me to the point most people bring up, that Harper never straight up told Connor that she wasn't interested in him. I don't know about y'all, but sometimes it's much easier to just act friendly with someone than straight up tell them you're not interested. Connor never made any kind of move on her, and in the scene when they're leaving the bar, Harper makes sure to keep her distance and never gives him any ideas of a future for their relationship. In that moment, the audience is rooting for Harper to come out to this guy, someone she clearly trusts and has known for so long, and she just can't bring herself to do it. It's a very universally closeted experience to not want someone's view of you to change. The only time Harper actually flirts with Connor is at the Christmas Eve White Elephant Party. This action comes after she sees Abby and Riley shopping in town together, something Abby then lied to Harper about later. Harper, who is a lesbian, knows that she would never let anything happen with Connor, and she thinks that Abby knows that too. As for Abby and Riley, Harper sees them two out lesbian women, and she gets jealous. She sees Riley as someone who could give Abby everything she can't. It's like all of her insecurities right in front of her face. So, she gets petty. If you've watched Teenage Bounty Hunters, this is very much like the moment in the finale where April flirts with Luke right in front of Sterling as a way to establish herself publicly as a head, but also kind of just to hurt Sterling a bit and as a straight up reaction to her regressing because her father came home. Again, I'm not saying any of this behavior is admirable in any way, but considering the circumstances, it's easy to see exactly why she behaves this way and to understand her journey. 
In the end of the movie, Harper apologizes to Abby. She owns up to every horrible thing she did and promises to spend the rest of her life making it up to her because in that moment, she realized that her blood family isn't as important to her as the new family she is going to create with Abby. The entire point of the movie is a commentary on family dynamics and how this family suffocated their children so badly that none of them actually liked each other and they were traumatized and deeply affected for the rest of their lives because of this. The only exception was Jane, who unconditionally loved herself and her family, but only because her parents had given up on her and Jane's sisters ignored her instead of treating her like competition like they did each other. Obviously, though, it's a Christmas rom-com, so it's not going to get that deep and philosophical, but it's all absolutely there. The other main point of this movie is that people make mistakes, but they can grow and change. Clea Duvall, the writer and director of Happiest Season, did a lot of interviews over the last couple of days defending Harper, so I'm going to read a few quotes for you. When talking about Abby and Riley's shippers, Clea said, quote, I understand the impulse to just cut and run, and to be like, to hell with this. But I also really believe that people can get better. People can grow and people can change. They can recognize that maybe their behavior is not as good as they know it can be. And that they can make a conscious effort to change it, end quote. In her own words, quote, The message of the film is that you can mess up and you can do the work and get better. And that's really important. And to be kind to yourself and have compassion. Because I think compassion is in short supply, end quote. She also spoke about Harper's regression in the film, which really kind of echoes my own sentiments. She said, quote, denying Abby and her sexuality at the party was really the moment of just the ultimate regression. As soon as they get to the house, she begins to regress little by little and slip back into that old family dynamic. And by the time that happens, she's at peak fear. To be outed in that way is really intense, end quote. Hearing Clea Duvall have to defend her own movie and choices, especially since all of this is literally in the film, if you just pay attention to the dialogue and acting choices, is really upsetting. A lesbian creator who crafted this film out of personal experience and care and compassion, having to defend this movie from her own community is just plain wrong. And I hope those who were harsh take a step back and absorb her words. I also briefly want to mention something I noticed about the hatred coming towards both Harper and the movie itself. Obviously, I've spoken about how everything, including Harper's redemption, is all there in the movie, but only if you have an open mind, apparently. What I think happened is a lot of people either went into this movie with a negative opinion of Harper already and stayed that way, or the minute Harper made a mistake early on, there was no undoing it for some viewers. But that's absolutely ridiculous. The whole point of a movie is to develop the characters over the course of the film, not have them remain stagnant. In fact, if they do remain the same, you failed your one job. People judging Harper for the things she did before her redemption and not even having an open mind to consider her redeemed at the end of the movie is not only unfair, but a very strange concept. It's like if you watch A Christmas Carol and you decide that Scrooge is the worst person on the planet. You can't just decide that Scrooge's redemption throughout the film didn't happen and pretend that he's still the same character at the end. It would be ridiculous if you walked away from A Christmas Carol still thinking that Scrooge is horrible because you missed the entire point of the movie. That doesn't mean you have to think what Scrooge did pre-redemption was good because it wasn't, but a mindful audience member would understand that he regrets those choices and has taken the steps to start to make amends the exact same way Harper did in Happiest Season. At this point, most of the hate coming towards Harper seems to be coming from sapphic women who are out. 
I think that is extremely unfair, considering how living in the closet is still the reality for so many LGBT people. And not taking a second to understand Harper tells your closeted friends that you really don't care about them or their journeys. This leads into a bigger topic, which is the insistence that we don't need any more coming out movies or stories. I absolutely 100% disagree. I wouldn't be who I am without seeing Amy's coming out story on Faking It. There's so much value in showing the experience of coming out of the closet because it's something every single LGBT person has to do, and not just once. When you're gay, you come out every time you meet a new person, you come out every time you go to Pride, you come out every time you get a new job, we're constantly coming out throughout our whole lives, and for some, it never gets easier, whether it be due to the environment they live in or just the people they find themselves surrounded by. I think Clay Duvall, the director and writer of Happiest Season, said it best, quote, Homophobia is not gone. Aggression towards LGBTQ plus people is not gone. So to anyone who's saying, aren't we past coming out? No, it's a big deal. There are still people who are in the closet and they are effing terrified, end quote. To add to that, Kristen Stewart, who plays Abby, also said, quote, I mean, it's a really fringy perspective to think that the fear has been sucked out of the idea of telling everyone that you're gay. It would be a really, really sort of naively optimistic or kind of just ignorant, dumb way to approach happiest season, end quote. And the thing is that don't those people deserve to have their stories told too? That's one thing that I noticed about the attitude towards Happiest Season, is the way fans reward certain characters or people for being out. They want Riley to have ended up with Abby as a reward to Riley for being out and to punish Harper for still being closeted. They don't want any more coming out stories as a reward for those who are out and to punish those who are still closeted. Coming out stories allow those in the closet who sometimes and oftentimes feel the most alone to not feel so alone and isolated. It's absolutely unfair and honestly dismissive to insist that we stop telling their stories be simply because you're at a different place in your life. There's also a huge privilege that comes from being able to live out and free in your life. If you're in a good environment where you don't have to worry about being kicked out of your parents' house or facing physical violence due to who you are, Good for you, but don't expect everyone's situation to be the same as yours, and don't expect all media to cater to you. Do we need more stories with just gay characters casually being gay? Absolutely. But don't ask for less of a different kind of story that remains relevant to so many people. Why should we limit what LGBT rep we want to see? If anything, ask for more LGBT stories and more diverse stories spanning LGBT people in different situations, stages of life, and environments. In fact, it's kind of funny because when we do get a movie that has probably one of my favorite lesbian characters of all time, who never comes out during the movie and is just casually gay, people don't even recognize it as an iconic gay movie. I'm talking about Olivia Wilde's directorial debut, Booksmart, which came out in 2019 and definitely didn't get the hype it deserved among the LGBT community. One of the film's main characters, Amy, is an out lesbian senior in high school who is incredible representation, and, but still, that movie isn't good enough for the people who are directing hate towards these LGBT movies. It's not good enough because it's a movie more about friendship than romance, but there's still romance for both lead characters. It's... Just not the cheesy Hallmark rom-com everyone keeps begging for, so it gets shunned. Another film that suffered from the unrealistic expectations of the LGBT audience is The Half of It, a film that dropped on Netflix earlier this year. Alice Wu, a lesbian filmmaker also responsible for saving face, wrote and then directed this movie based on her own experiences. Before this film came out, people on Twitter were spreading false information, saying it was a cheesy rom-com. 
when it isn't. It's the complex story of a young lesbian Asian woman who feels like an outsider in her town who forges an unlikely friendship with the boy next door. They work together to try and woo over the pastor's daughter with Ellie, the main character, writing letters pretending to be Paul, her best friend. Over the course of this film, we see Ellie fall in love with Aster, who is the pastor's daughter. But more importantly, she finally has a friend in Paul. It's a coming-of-age story about the power of friendship and finally being understood by another person. But since everyone provided incessant false information for it in the weeks before, people had different expectations, which then led to the film being a disappointment for some, despite it being an incredible movie. One thing that the Half of It and Happiest Season have in common is how they are both written by lesbians based on their own personal experiences, but were ultimately shunned by the LGBT community because they weren't what they wanted them to be. It's unfair to these movies to expect them to be bad, cheesy rom-coms, and it's unfair to queer creators to ask them to water down their own complex and nuanced experiences because you don't want to empathize with their specific story or watch a film that asks its audience to think during it. Also, personally, I'd much rather have a nuanced, complex, and interesting story with many layers and so much care put into it than a bad, cheesy, shitty-ass movie. Another gay movie that I want to briefly discuss is Love, Simon. That movie is extremely controversial, and that fact alone is so frustrating. Love, Simon was one of the first of its kind, a rom-com slash coming-of-age story about a young gay man, released as wide as it was and to be created and pushed by a major studio, which was Fox at the time, obviously now owned by Disney. It was directed by Greg Berlanti, a gay man, who felt so passionate and excited about making it because he was making the movie he felt he needed as a kid. The major complaint about this movie is the actions of Simon's friends. Ironic enough, LGBT audience didn't like how little compassion his friends had for Simon while trying to remain in the closet. Those same people who write off his friends as horrible people are the same people who have no sympathy for Harper, who's going through nearly the exact situation Simon is. Simon did pretty awful things to his friends throughout the movie, including trying to sabotage their relationships and honestly making his friend Abby's life a living hell by trying to set her up with Martin. Though audiences sympathize with his actions, despite them being shitty, because they understand that he isn't ready to come out. We are able to sympathize with him because we get his inner thoughts and point of view throughout the entire film, especially through emails he exchanges with Blue. In Happiest Season, if we had been in Harper's head the whole time instead of Abby's, I wonder if the same people who refuse to understand Harper would feel the same way. I honestly don't think they would. In Love, Simon, I think they convey the coming out experience the best out of any other coming out film I've seen. The way that Simon expresses how he doesn't want his family dynamic to change shows just how scary coming out is, even if your parents are the most tolerant and accepting people. The scene where Simon is romanticizing leaving for college and finally being able to be out and himself there is so real, especially for those coming from oppressive households. And the fact that people clowned on that scene is just insane to me. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> it highlights the idea of the two faces you might have for the two different places you live. I've seen people say that Love, Simon is a gay movie for straight people, but that idea is simply ridiculous. By shunning this movie from the community and deeming it, quote, bad representation or whatever, you're simultaneously shunning the people who feel seen by this movie, especially since it does such a good job showing these universal experiences. 
So where does this leave us? With so many good LGBT movies shunned from the community and a strange double standard for LGBT storytelling, especially compared to television, it's hard to know what the future of LGBT movies looks like. With television, it seems like everyone is game for any storyline, even if it's sad, hello, Bly Manor, and has a relationship that to some may be toxic, which is then redeemed at the end, a la Hill House. Because you can't... Listen... If I were Trish, I would have left Theo so fast. (laughs) But Theo redeems herself in the end, even though we really don't even see that work on screen. All we see is her throwing her gloves away. So how do people fawn over that show but can't give Happiest Season the time of day? Like, these shows are praised and beloved by all. But with movies, it's like the gays in them have to work twice as hard to be appreciated half as much. It's very frustrating, and I feel like the lack of support from the LGBT community is only hurting us in the end. Especially when it comes to getting movies like this that are so big budget and released so wide and have such strong support from these the uh, the, um, studios. It's like... It's like we're shooting ourselves in the foot. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like we're fighting against each other when we should be fighting together. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. And and one thing that I think is really cool about Happiest Season is just how marketed it was. I can't still to this day, which is what, 2 weeks, 2 weeks after it's been released, 2 or 3 weeks after it's been released. And I still, on my Instagram stories and on my Twitter, see ads for Happiest Season. That is insane because Hulu is still pushing this movie. Like, that is incredible. LGBT content doesn't get that kind of treatment. They don't spend that kind of money on LGBT content. I want you all to understand. And for people to tear this movie apart makes me so mad. Oh my god. Some bright news, though, is that Happiest Season blew the doors off of the digital box office for Hulu its opening weekend. It was the most streamed movie in the opening weekend that Hulu has ever released, and it drew in more subscribers than any other previous title. It also was very critically praised, currently sitting at an 83% on Rotten Tomatoes, certified fresh. Despite the online backlash, it seems that it would be in Hulu's favor to work with Clea on a deal for a sequel, especially since Kristen Stewart has already expressed interest in doing one. In conclusion, I think Happiest Season will go down as one of my favorite holiday movies and one of my favorite LGBT movies. I also think that those who insist on treating Harper like she's some kind of axe murderer rather than a scared woman too afraid to be herself have some internal reflecting to do. If you did hate Harper, I hope I changed your mind today. Especially because I think Harper and the movie, at least, deserve to be given a chance. Thank you so much for listening. Um, I, I really love this movie, genuinely. I really do. And, and I, hope, I hope that I could have changed someone's mind out there about Harper. And even if you still hate Harper, thank you for hearing me out. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this and to hopefully at least try to understand Harper's story a little bit. Um, I think the main takeaway from this that I want people to think about is how they treat closeted characters and how that can affect how 
people in your life that are potentially closeted may feel because that's them you know it's it's ridiculous it's like you these people have no empathy for anybody and it makes me so mad like I've seen TikToks that have called Harper straight just because she isn't ready to come out. Like, that's not fair. It's not fair to invalidate Harper's sexuality just because she's not ready. I don't know. I don't know. I just hope that that whoever listens can take something from this. And, and definitely, um, if you're watching on YouTube, please let me know in the comments below what you think, because I'm so interested to hear uh, people's thoughts on this movie, because I know the internet is so divided about it. And maybe people's thoughts on what I said today, you know, like I said, hopefully I changed your mind. Um, and you can tweet me at TelevisedPod, and you can let me know your thoughts there if you're listening, you know, like on uh, Apple or Spotify or whatever, let me know because I want to have discussions with people about this movie because I feel so passionately about it. Um, but yeah, anyway, so I will, um, that's all I have today for me. Um, you know, like, share, subscribe, uh, do all the things, leave a rating or a review or whatever, and I will see you guys next time. Bye.